Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. And uh, yes, we're in Philippians. I was reading a, a story this last week about three sisters, 94, 96, and 92 years of age that lived together. And one day, the 96-year-old draws a bath. She puts one foot in and stops. And she hollers downstairs, I can't remember if I was getting in or getting out. The 94-year-old said, just a second, I will come and help you. She gets halfway up the stairs and stops. She says, I can't remember if I was going up or coming down. And the 92-year-old lifted her head and said, boy, I hope I don't get that forgetful. She knocked on wood for good luck. And then she said, hang on, I will help both of you as soon as I see who's at the door. How many of you feel that way on any given week, right? You're not even in your 90s, right? You're not even sure what's up. Well, if you don't remember, we're in this great book called Philippians, and it's a great book of the Bible, and the crux of the issue is joy. Joy. That's what Paul wants us to know as he's writing from prison. And he starts off the first part of this chapter speaking about what he's gone through, and now he turns it here in the last three verses and switches it and directly talks to the Philippian believers. He's going to speak right to their heart. He's going to speak to us today as our heart and our minds are open because what Paul is encountering as he's writing about this is saying, listen, if you haven't experienced it already, suffering will eventually come. And Paul tells Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer for the sake of Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's writing to the Philippians, not just about his own experience, but he wants them to understand that joy doesn't have to disappear in the face of suffering, that there is a joy that is so foundational, what has taken place on the inner part of your life, that it cannot be extinguished even in difficulty that you are going through. If there is one thing if there's one thing that you want someone to know, what would it be? Have you thought about that? If you want someone to know one thing, and you have the opportunity to share with him one thing, what would it be? Paul is going to tell us that there is a joy that's indestructible in the midst of suffering, but in order for that joy to be known and be something we experience present within you, then it's going to come from the perspective that you carry with you through your life today. It is the way you see yourself, and Paul's going to show them that we need to see ourselves as something, and that something is a citizen of heaven. Citizens of heaven while you and I are here on this earth. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whenever I come, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. The passage begins with an enormous challenge. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three words unlock the meaning of the phrase. The first word is only, which doesn't even appear in the NIV text, but it comes with a word manos, which means only. Paul wants them to see what is primary as they see themselves, the manner of life that Paul is talking about means to think of yourself as a good citizen. Like, what is your duty as a citizen? I'm sure you've thought about that every day you live. What's, what's it mean to be a good citizen as we go uh, about our life? Not speed too much, right? 
take care of other people, love other people, you know, take care of your neighbor and all those things. And this is more than just being a good citizen in Philippi, you know, Strasbourg, Front Royal, Stephen City, Winchester, Clearbrook. Paul has something bigger in mind. Chapter 3, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we'll eventually get to in a couple of weeks. But he says, listen, our citizenship, ultimately, it is in heaven. Philippi, understand, was part of Roman citizenship. And you know, if you were a Roman, there was a lot of pride and prestige, most of the time, wrong pride. But it's more than just simply looking through the lens of what's taking place every single day here on earth. But he says, you have to look at life through the lens and the citizenship of heaven where you and I will eventually go. So first and foremost, the follower of Jesus is a citizen of heaven. And that takes perspective for your life on planet earth. It is what matters most. See yourself first as a citizen of heaven. So only let your manner of life, your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer translates it this way, just one thing. Paul means to say that whether he's set free or dies in jail, there's just one thing he wants the Philippians to know, one thing. The second word is worthy, worthy, which literally means to even the beam. Well, what does that mean? It's referring to balancing the scales in your life so that both sides are even, that they are even in your life. Well, what does that mean? Well, to live worthy of the gospel means to live your life that your life gives proper weight to all that God has done for you. How many of you are thankful for all that God has done for you? He says, you and I should live our life with the scales that are balanced, giving weight to the fact that God has blessed us. It doesn't mean you and I get to earn Christ or we even deserve Christ. Let your citizenship in heaven be the catalyst. He says, be the grid through which you value Christ more than anything else. That Christ is supremely worthy above everything else. That when you and I heard the gospel and that we accepted Christ, you got Christ, and there's nothing greater of value to our life and more valuable than who Jesus is. When you got the gospel, you got him. You got him and you got the very best. And Paul says, you have to start there every day that you live. To know that Jesus is supremely worthy, a citizen of heaven sees Jesus for who he is and then he tells the world about it. That who has changed you? The king you serve is glorious and above every single other name. And when you live like that, you're living as a citizen of heaven. The Message Bible translates it like this. Live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ. In one of his books, Chuck Colson, who went on to uh, be with the Lord years back, mentioned seeing a picture of a college demonstrator holding up a sign that read, nothing is worth dying for. But listen, if nothing is worth dying for, then nothing is worth living for. The third word is conduct, which means to live as a citizen of heaven. Conducting yourself, or, or to paraphrase an old question, if you were arrested for being a citizen of heaven today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
in your life and how you're living, this is what Paul is coming to. True Christians live in such a way that no one can deny their true identity in Jesus. For every decision you make, make sure it's valuable to Jesus. And I don't think we ask this question enough as believers here in the room or those that are watching online, what's valuable in heaven? Sometimes we're only interested in what's valuable here upon the earth and what we can see. God wants us to understand, the Apostle Paul's bringing them to this, this point, hey, you need to live with a lens towards heaven because your citizenship is ultimately there, that every single day you should ask, what is valuable in heaven? Well, give, giving, and serving The ethic of heaven is when one sinner repents, heaven throws a party. That's valuable. The the priority of heaven points back to Jesus' glory, his name, his renown. It's the way that Jesus lived. Jesus gave to you. Do you give to him? That's valuable. That's a great dynamic. Jesus served you. Do you serve him? Jesus died for you. Will you live for him? These are the things that are valuable to heaven and valuable to God, valuable to Jesus. And every single day, we should be asking, hey, you know what? I have a citizenship here on earth. But listen, I have a passport that's going to take me through this life, and I'm going to go to heaven one day. What's valuable to heaven? So I'm living for what's valuable to heaven every single day. Amen? That's how we're to live. A couple brief observations on this. Salvation to be real must change the way we live. That changes the conduct of who we are and how we operate every day, amen? That, that we have to say, well, hey, my salvation is real, it is genuine, and that changes the way that I will live today, that I'm not going to conduct my life the way that I lived in the past, but today is a new day. Also, you know this, that unbelievers draw conclusions about Jesus Christ by the way you and I live as believers. And in an increasingly pagan culture, we can make a huge impact by the way that you and I live. And this is so important for Christians because the surrounding culture has become increasingly hostile to biblical truth. When Paul wrote these words, he had no idea if he'd ever get out of jail and be able to be able to see people face to face. He had no idea. That's why I think it deserves our close attention It's just the one thing that Paul wanted to make clear in the case that he never saw them in person again. So how do you and I, by valuing Christ, wake up a watching world? The world is watching. How do we do that? From our text, we're going to discover how to make that impact for Jesus Christ as a citizen of heaven. The first one is stand firm in one spirit, verse 27. The word stand firm describes a Roman military formation in which the soldiers stood shoulder to shoulder, back to back with their shields up and their spears out. It was the strongest possible defensive position that they could have as warriors. Impacting the world begins as Christians standing together in one spirit. That's what he's saying. 
Now listen, there is another spirit. There is the spirit of, of, the, of the world. There's a spirit of the devil, right? But he's saying you and I, as believers in Christ, are to conduct ourselves as one, standing firm in one Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. We are not to divide, and yet sometimes we do over trivial issues. Some people are talking about things that don't make a hill of beans about eternity. Amen. To make matters worse, we, spar- we spent far too much time squabbling, squandering over secondary issues and not a- enough time living and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what matters. Amen? This is what he's getting to, the one spirit. When will we understand that unity makes the gospel beautiful? That is a value of heaven. We understand that unity makes the gospel beautiful. It will change how you and I are living every day. Because Jesus said this, he promises in John 13, he says, but by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Do we grasp maybe how the world views a divided church? Well, when we say God loves you, unbelievers hear it through the static of our intramural mudslinging many times. The message that comes through is God loves you, but we don't even love each other. And they don't want anything to do with that. And see, most of the time, it's maybe not so much the gospel they're rejecting. It's how it's packaged. It's how they see it from the outside in. And they see, well, it's how we're treating one another or or the lack thereof. We're called to stand firm in one spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is moving through you to help advance the kingdom of God and striving together Paul uses a picture as the church as a team. Where is the team locker room? When the church gets together to worship, we get ready to advance. On Sunday mornings when we come to worship, on Wednesday nights when Crave comes together and worships, that is that time where that is a locker room moment that we gather together and we worship and we lift up Jesus and we get ready to advance. That when we gather to worship here in this huddle, we get to leave this place, and in just a moment, we get to advance the kingdom of God wherever we go. That's why it's so important, as you and I are coming into worship, that we get all of God that we can in that moment together, because we're only going to be together most of the time, maybe one time a week like this in a worship setting. That we come together and we get so filled up, because why? Because the kingdom of God needs to be advanced outside of these doors. And you and I are a part of that. That God, God's doing something in here so that he can start something out there. So something that can start inside of your neighborhood or your, your family, your workplace, or whatever it may be in your, in your campus. The word athlete, that's what Paul pictures the church as, as a team. The enemy knows when the church gets out of the huddle in a moment, his defeat is imminent. As we go out and as we infiltrate, that Paul's saying, get in the huddle, stand firm, strive, and push back the darkness together. He says also, number two, strive without compromise. Here's what he says, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. There's two words in this, the word contending, it comes from that word we said a moment ago, athlete or athletic, like a running back today as you're watching football, when that running back gets it, that receiver gets it, that they are going to take and they are going to run that ball as hard as they can across the line, putting all their energy in to score the touchdown. This is what he's saying, like a running back straining to get the ball across the line. 
We are to exert maximum effort for the sake of the gospel in the world because it's worth it. That's the offensive game that Paul's talking about. That's what he wants us to know. Note the phrase, the faith. Now, when you look at this and you see this, you see the definite article before the word faith. It almost always refers to the objective side of faith, not the inner belief, but rather the things in which we believe. The faith of the gospel encompasses the great body of Christian truth that includes amongst them anything, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, human nature, sin, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Put these words together. What are they saying? We are to unitedly join hearts and using our hands and all of our resources to spread the gospel by every means possible to every person possible while we are alive. What is Paul saying? There is a faith you must believe in. That faith is worth striving for. Some of you maybe have given up some hope and you've backed up. Paul says, no, no, listen. The faith that you have, you have to believe it. And that faith is worth striving for. And that faith must not be compromised. That faith is the basis of our unity. And that faith should be preached in all of the earth. This is a call for nothing less than aggressive Christianity. We need this because we're in a world that is full of Christians in retreat. We've retreated when God has called us to advance the gospel. And too many have been intimidated and, and have left the battlefield to the enemy. And so as much as anything, this explains the moral crisis in America today. The other side has won because we've surrendered the will to fight. We live in a day when people are not kind to the truth. The truth. We live in a culture that resists truth. There is hostility for and against the truth. And Paul knows that's coming for them as Philippian believers. And he knows it's coming for us. For those that name the name of Christ, Jesus is the most valuable and heaven is our home. Paul says when that's true in your life, when you are serious about that, then you, you can know this, that there's hardship coming. There is active hostility to Jesus on planet earth. Now, you will be called ignorant. You will be called bigot and unsophisticated. Even though we see a culture maybe that is moving that way inside of your heart because you value what heaven values, you say, you know what? I will not move in that direction. That's not true to who I am and my identity in Christ. I live out of a different identity. Culture will not be kind to that. But even though that's true, Paul says you can have a joy as a citizen of heaven. Stand firm and don't compromise. Have courage, take courage. We're called to courageous living. And the Bible is a courageous book that you and I need to be in daily. So it can be very difficult if you and I are not in the word of God on, on a regular basis to live courageously and point people to the value and the worth of Jesus. You and I can do it so much better if we're in the word. Paul says you've got to stand firm. You've got to link your life to the truth of the gospel. It's not only defensive, it's offensive as well. What does he say? With one spirit and one mind, contending side by side for the gospel. In other words, the church and the people who make up the church, he, what is he saying in here, are meant to take ground from darkness. You can't stay where you're at and take new ground. 
He says you have to stand firm in your beliefs, in your values, but also you have to take ground as well. You know, God's word to the church is always go forward. It is always go forward. And as as far as I know, God never told his people to retreat. Do you ever find that in the Bible? Retreat, retreat. No, no. God says go, go, go and preach the gospel, Mark 16, 15. Go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. And those are the first two letters of the gospel. Go, let's go. It's game time. Let's go. Let's get it on, right? This is what Paul is saying. You know, there's so many areas that we ought to make an impact for the gospel. I think number one is education, where we train and raise up leaders of tomorrow, not only in the church, but in the world that we live in. Also, business and industry, where decisions are made that affect millions of people. Also, entertainment in the world we live in, which needs an overhaul, where values are determined for the next generation, right? In one of his books, the famous Methodist evangelist Stanley Jones commented that the first Christians didn't wring their hands in despair and say, look what the world has come to. Instead, with great delight, they declared, look what has come to the world. It's never been easy to be a Christian. It wasn't then. It isn't now. Blessed are those, though, that are so excited about Jesus that they simply can't keep quiet about it. Amen? Amen? that you can't keep quiet about the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a third way that we impact our world, and we wake up those that are sleeping. Number three is speak without fear. Verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. I, I love the sober realism of these words. Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, you're going to be opposed speak up anyways. Some people don't like your message. Don't let that stop you. Sooner or later, you're going to run into opposition. So what? Just keep keep preaching Jesus Christ. Our Lord reminds us this, that in, in John 15, they hated me, they will hate you. This verse offers a truth. You, you may have not considered before, but opposition to the gospel reveals spiritual reality. That's the sign, the word sign in verse 28. That's the sign. As you and I are living the gospel, there will be opposition. It will come. And he said, you know, don't be put off by the starkness of these words. That's precisely the meaning of verse 28. Genuine believers are proved genuine by the quality of their opposition. If no one ever criticizes you for your faith in Christ or opposes you, if you never make waves because of your faith, if everyone is happy with your Christian faith all the time, well then, something is either wrong with your faith or with the people you hang out with the most. True believers, with the help of the Holy Spirit, bring a conviction to the world because they stand as a rebuke to everything that the world stands for. When we say Jesus is the only way, they will call us arrogant. If we declare you must be born again, someone's sure to call us a fanatic. If you say the Bible is the word of God, someone else will think you're just ignorant. If you say, I know I'm going to heaven, you'll be accused that you're better than anyone else. And on and on it goes. We truly bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit precisely because we're citizens of heaven and we live by different principles. 
that we do that. Paul's advice is simple. Don't be frightened. And in this word, it's kind of this kind of, he uses this, the word frightened is the word kind of like when a horse is spooked by a movement in the bushes, the horse rears up and takes off and runs away. He says, don't do that. Don't be frightened by the things you see, by the things people are saying against you. We need to be people that are calm and courageous and have an unconquerable spirit. I'm not talking about being a jerk, okay? I'm not saying any of that. But to live your life in the confidence of who Jesus is and what he has called you to do. We're to speak without fear, knowing that some people won't like what we say. Remember, it's better to be the persecuted than the persecutor. This is one instance where it's better to receive than to give. Jesus pronounced a blessing on those that would be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And that kind of persecution is a sign you are a genuine believer. There isn't probably a day that goes by that I don't remember, uh, or that it's just brought to my remembrance on the persecuted church throughout the world, that somebody today, while you and I are here, have died for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I never take that lightly. There's hardly a day that goes by that I don't remember the persecuted church for somebody today that is having to hide their family because they're living for Jesus and people are coming after them to kill them. That you and I are called to pray, to give to the persecuted church. The fourth, sacrifice without shame. He says in verse 29 and 30, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You notice there's two great gifts that he's saying. There's a gift of faith, not only to believe in him. This is the gift that enables us to believe in Christ in the first place, that we came to him and we found him. And without, without, he's saying without the gift, We would never be saved in the first place. There's the gift of suffering. This is also a gift because it's the gift no one wants, right? Nobody in this room is going to say, oh, yes, God, please, I want to suffer, right? Nobody wakes up every day, God, please make me suffer today, right? Nobody does that. But there's two gifts inside of that. The gift, the saint of salvation, uh, of, of believing, then also for those that suffer. Sometimes God gives the gifts in reverse order. Suffering first, and then there's belief later. That's just how it works. There are many applications from this story. The one that's most obvious is don't ever give up on your friends and loved ones. Don't ever give up. And some of you maybe today have backed away from your friends and loved ones and stopped telling them about Jesus because you know, they're like, no, I'm, you know, they, you feel like it's just rejecting you. Listen, when you live your life, valuing heaven, you got to understand that people aren't going to like that message. It's not so much a rejection of you as much as a rejection of God and the gospel. But you and I are still called to love them and go after them, to pray for them and keep living a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't stop loving them and don't be afraid to speak up for Jesus uh, when you have the chance. Um, we want to reach this world for Jesus. And would you like to be a credit to the gospel? I would say every Christian would say yes. 
And here's just the one thing on Paul's heart that we need to remember. You're a citizen of heaven. Live like it. And you can impact your world if you will. So that your conduct would be a blessing, would go to Jesus' value, and would lift up his name. So I just want to encourage us as a church this week that you would ask God, okay, as I look in your word, God, I want to see what you value, what heaven values, and I'm going to change my value here upon this earth for the things that you don't value. And you know what? I believe that it will change us to become more like Jesus as we do it. So today that you would ask him, Lord, are the things that I'm doing, does it honor you? And does heaven value it? And if not, Lord, I surrender and I lay that down before you. And I won't continue to do that. Or I won't continue to do this. But God, because your value is more important than anything else, that's what I will do. So Paul's saying, you're a citizen of heaven. Now let's live like it. He's saying, you know what? Stand without division. Stand firm in one spirit. Strive without compromise. Speak without fear. Sacrifice without shame. And may God help us to make a difference for Christ by the way that we live today, every day, throughout this week. And listen, you may need a reminder. You haven't heard it for a while. But listen, we're on the winning side, church. We're going to win with Christ. And we just need to stay confident in the hope that is in Jesus. Father, thank you for these words the Apostle Paul has given to this church in Philippi to us today. That God, you're calling us as a church to stand firm in one spirit. One spirit, your spirit. One Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, we would strive without compromising the truth of your word, God, in our hearts. And that we would speak without fear. Not brashly, not unlovingly, but to speak the truth in love. And that we would sacrifice without shame. The world may say one thing, but God, you say another. That when we are standing for you, God, that that is what heaven honors. God, help us to make a difference for you today, this week, by valuing what you value. Because, Lord, as believers, we're citizens of heaven on earth. And we pray this in your name and thank you for your strength and to help us as a church to be God-honoring in all of these areas, God, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.